He is risen. Indeed, he has. And that's why we're here. Is that not right? We're here because our Lord has conquered the grave and done what no one else in all of human history has done. We're glad that you're here this morning and those that are visiting with us today. uh, You are most welcome. I know we have some family members and friends that have been invited. And I hope that you got enough to eat this morning. Uh, We want to give a really, really good uh, thank you to the men who undertook the breakfast this morning. So let's give them a big hand. Each year for the last, (coughs) I don't know how many now, we've had this Easter breakfast and the men have always stepped up to to prepare it and to serve it, and uh, I saw kids downstairs serving this morning. Uh, I just love to see all the interaction and the service to one another. Such a blessing. We're glad that you're all here this morning, and uh, most welcome. Well, of all the times of the year that we think about the resurrection of Christ, uh, this this Sunday is... Uh, one that stands out among us with holiday we observe every year to commemorate the resurrection of our Lord. And, of course, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. But this one seems to be a special time. And so uh, I'll ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read a bit of scripture here. I believe last year I spoke from this same passage um, from some different verses. And so uh, this morning, just have you follow with me, beginning at verse 1, then I'll have you skip down a few verses. Beginning at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would... Remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I received, for I delivered to you as Of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now jump down to verse 12, if you would. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still 
in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, and by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day, for the beautiful music uh, from the musicians and from the children and the, the praises that we have sung to you this morning, uh, commemorating the resurrection of our Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would be glorified now as we worship you through the ministry of your word. And we ask that you would do your work through your spirit as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. In verses 3 and 4, we see that great gospel passage in, in a, given in a nutshell. It is the good news that Christ... <clears throat> that Christ Jesus died for sinners. But the death of Christ, as important as it is, would not be enough to save anyone. There had to be a resurrection. There were those in Corinth that doubted the truth of the resurrection. The apostle uses a conditional marker in this passage to set up the assumption of relating to the resurrection, we see it in the little word, if. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 12, he uses the word if in every verse except verse 18. The ifs imply a condition that is true. The Corinthians were not questioning the resurrection of Christ, they were questioning the resurrection of dead people. Christians who had died. And so Paul formed this conditional, <coughs> this conditional argument from a double perspective. <coughs> Since Christ <coughs> was raised from the dead, then resurrection is certainly possible. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> unless men can be resurrected, secondly, unless men can be resurrected, <clears throat> there is no possibility that Christ could have been resurrected since he was a man. So these two postulates that the apostle brings brings up here in this passage either stand or fall together. One cannot exist without the other. And without them, the gospel becomes a worthless message. If there is no possibility of people rising from the dead, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then there is no possibility that anyone else can rise from the dead. 
And so he starts with this assumption that Christ rose from the dead. He, as the scriptures say, that he was, that he, that he died, was buried, and rose again. And in verse 20, he moves his focus from Christ's resurrection to the resurrection of the redeemed, to the resurrection of believers who have trusted Christ and have been redeemed, who will also be resurrected with him. There is more written about believe the believer's bodily resurrection in this passage than any other place in Scripture. The German theologian Eric Sauer wrote, quote, this passage This present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life through Christ. So we live between two Easter's. And in the power of the first Easter, we go to meet the last Easter. This last Easter that Sauer speaks of is the bodily resurrection of the saved of earth. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, those who have trusted in his work of salvation. The scripture speaks of that resurrection as the resurrection of the righteous. It is found in several places, Revelation 20, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, Luke 14, John chapter 5. Over and over again, this resurrection of the righteous is brought forth from the scriptures. <clears throat> this resurrection of the righteous or the saved is called the first resurrection. It is a resurrection only for those who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus alone. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins are in a different resurrection. But both happen at their respective times and will be given, they will be given bodies suitable for that resurrection. Jesus spoke of it in John chapter 5, verse 29. Listen to what he said. He said, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they will come out. Now that's still yet future. People have not yet come out of their, their graves or their tombs. That's yet in the future. But then he elaborates on what will happen after this. When they hear the voice of the Son of God and they come out of their graves, he said, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There are two resurrections given here. One is for those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And the good that he speaks about there is not the good works of people because Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that no one can be saved by their good works. Rather, it is the good of believing the gospel. It's the good of trusting in the work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Those that are resurrected, those that have done evil, 
It's not the evil done in the body necessarily. It is the evil of unbelief. It is the evil of rejecting the gospel and turning away from the salvation that God has brought in Christ. John writes in Revelation chapter 20 verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. We'll talk about that more in a moment. In chapter 15, Paul is speaking here of the first resurrection. He's speaking of the resurrection of believers to life. Of the redeemed. He argues two basic points. One, that Jesus' resurrection is not merely a model of future resurrections, but it is actually the beginning of future resurrections. The beginning, not just a model. But Jesus started something when he rose from the dead. And every believer will experience what Jesus experienced in time. Number two, that people will be raised from the dead because they participate in and are identified now in Christ's resurrection. Because he rose, we shall rise. We participate in the resurrection of Christ at some future point because we know Him and we know Him in the forgiveness of sins now, right now, present time. So Paul begins in verse 20 to bring forth the facts of what the resurrection of Christ has done for those who have trusted in Him. Notice, first of all, in verse 20, Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of everything we are as believers in Christ. The first thing that Paul does after his extensive conjecture of what if, what if the dead are are not resurrected, is to affirm the fact that Christ has indeed been resurrected from the dead. In verse 20, he says... But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, how did he know that? He was eyewitness to it. He witnessed the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. And spent three years with him in the back deserts of Arabia. No intelligent person would dispute Jesus' resurrection because there are too many facts to substantiate its validity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks of His divinity and His divinity rests upon His resurrection. The very fact that Jesus is God rests upon His resurrection. Listen to what He says in Romans 1.4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By His resurrection from the dead. That's how we know that Jesus was who He said He was. Because He he was raised from the dead. Like no other person in history ever has been. 
His sovereignty, the sovereignty of Jesus rests on His resurrection. Romans chapter 14 verse 9, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord of both the living and the dead. He is Lord. He is the sovereign Lord. And He proved it by rising from the dead. Our justification before God rests upon Jesus' resurrection. Romans 4 verse 25, For who was he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our regeneration, the very fact that we live in Christ rests upon his resurrection. Peter writes in Peter 1 3, 1 Peter 1 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The very fact that we live rests in the fact that Jesus rose. Finally, our ultimate resurrection. That first resurrection that we look for, that we talked about a few moments ago, rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 8.11 If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Jesus' resurrection is key. Spurgeon writes, the fact, the fact is that this silver thread of resurrection runs through all the blessings of regeneration onward to our eternal glory and binds them all together. It's like a great gift, a great package, a a box of blessings that is wrapped up with a silver ribbon. And inside are all the blessings of eternity. And they all have their foundation for the believer on the resurrection of Christ. Now I want you to notice in verse 20 that phrase after that. He says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And that next phrase The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? The term first fruits comes from the Old Testament feast that the Jews celebrated each year. It was called the Feast of First Fruits. It was the third of the the seven feasts that they celebrated. It's interesting that the feast was associated very closely with two other feasts. The Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Which were both kept the day after the Sabbath, which is Sunday, the first day of the week. Now Jesus was in the tomb on the Sabbath after the Passover. So what is the significance then of the first fruits? This was the day... When the Israelites would bring a representative sample of their crops to the priest. Maybe, we find it in Leviticus chapter 23. Maybe they would bring a stalk of corn or a sheaf of wheat. The priest would take that stalk or that sheaf and he would wave it over the fields. And as he waved it over the fields... It would signify that the whole harvest would eventually be brought in. It was proof that there was more to come. You see the picture? 
Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that there will be a future resurrection harvest of believers who have died. All of our the saints of old who have died in Christ will one day be raised like Christ was raised. Not by their own power, but by the power of His resurrection. And there's another side to this first fruits. The very fact that Jesus was raised from the dead as the first fruits indicates that the harvest is not yet complete. There are still yet more people to be brought into God's harvest. People that will be saved in this age and the next age until finally the final age comes. That tribulation age where multiplied millions will hear the gospel and be saved by God's grace. To say it another way, Christ's resurrection requires our resurrection. If that isn't true, then he would not be the first fruits of anything. So, the first fruits waving of the Sheaves over the fields signified that there was a harvest that would come in. That harvest had three separate segments in the Hebrew culture. One, there was the beginning stage, which was the joyous time of first fruits. We're getting, hopefully, we're getting ready for that uh, if the winter ever lets go of us here. And we will plant our crops and uh, we'll see them start to spring up and grow throughout the warm weather of summer. So this speaks of Christ on resurrection. On the day that he rose, that Sunday morning after the Passover, he is the first fruits of the harvest. Second, the harvest itself, which was in time of reaping, all that has been sown from the beginning of the growing season, the harvest comes, it's all gotten in. That time will come one day, that hasn't come yet, when God will bring in that very last one. Can you imagine that? That last person to trust in Christ and then it's over? harvest to be brought in this is related to the first resurrection and it will take place at the rapture of the church from 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 then the third stage of the harvest is the final stage it is the gleaning of the crops in Old Testament days they would bring in the harvest but they would leave the edges of the fields for the poor to come through and glean what was there for themselves This gleaning of the crops is the phase likened to those saved during the tribulation period who will be brought in as the ones gleaning from Christ's work. Revelation 7 speaks of them. These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So Jesus was the forerunner of this great multitude of saints who will follow him in resurrection. 
There have already been several resurrections. We can think of some. We think of Elijah who brought back a child in 1 Kings 17 and Elisha who did the same thing in 2 Kings 4. Jesus himself raised people from the dead. The, the, uh, the son of the widow in Nain, the daughter of Jairus, uh, Lazarus in Luke 11. These were all raised to life from being dead. Even Paul himself raised a young man from the dead who fell out of a window and killed himself, fell asleep from Paul's long-winded sermon. Paul raised him from the dead. Don't you try that. (laughs) The point of this is that all of these people who were raised from the dead died again. They all died again. They didn't live forever. They were brought back to mortal life and that mortal life ended at some point. But Christ is the first fruits of those who were raised and never die again. He lives forever. And because he lives, we will live. Listen to what he said. John 14, verse 19. Because I live, you also will live. Future tense. Will live. You will live. Even if you die, you'll live. Is that not what he said to Martha in John chapter 11? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so we see these two points that he makes here. Jesus' humanity is thoroughly linked to his resurrection and our resurrection after him. It is by a man that death came into humanity. And it is by a man that life comes into humanity. John found himself in Revelation 5 standing in heaven. He was looking around heaven and he was weeping because there was no one worthy to open the scroll with the seven seals. And one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Why? How did he conquer? By rising from the dead. So Jesus' humanity is linked to his resurrection. Second, were it not for the perfect humanity of Jesus Christ, were it not for his sinless nature, we would all forever be linked to the resurrection of death. It was because Jesus died and was buried and was raised, being the first fruits, that other men can be raised to glory. First fruits sheaf harvest was from the same crop. Notice verse 22, if you would. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as Adam was the predecessor of those who die, Jesus is the predecessor of everyone who is raised to life. 
Now, this verse is often used to try and show that people will event, all people will eventually be saved, that all people will end up in heaven. That's called universalism, and it is not, that is not what it's teaching at all. The key here is identification. Who do you identify with? The two alls in verse 22 are only alike in that they apply to descendants. All men naturally descend from Adam. And in Adam we all die. This is because from him we inherited our sin nature. And by the year 21-22, there will not be a single one of us left here. We will all be dead. We will all be gone. And we will all face our God. Some die sooner than others, but all will eventually die. For it's been appointed unto men once to die. And after that, the judgment. The opposite is true of those identified with Jesus. All of those who are identified with Jesus, those who have repented of their sins and have been born again through faith in His sacrifice, will live in eternal life and resurrection because of the righteous nature of Christ. Not our own. You have none, folks. We don't have any righteousness of our own all of any righteousness we claim to have in God's sight is like filthy rags been wrapped around oozing sores Romans chapter 5 verse 19 gives a similar description for as by one man's obedience the many were made sinners so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous He's saying that all die in Adam, but all those identified with Jesus will live. That's how simple it is. The two minis in that verse are like the two alls. They are all who trust in Christ, the many who trust in Christ, and the many who are descendants of Adam. Listen to this now carefully. To be born in Adam is to be born once. To be born in Christ is to be born twice or a second time. Those who are born once will die twice. And those who are born twice will only die once. What, what great promise is that? And though the inheritance in both cases is alluded to, Paul is mainly concerned with the bodily aspect here. Should we who are in Christ die today, we would spiritually in an instant be with the Lord. But that we would be having to wait until the resurrection of the just, the first resurrection to receive a body that is capable of living with the Lord in glory forever. We don't have that body yet. 
Now notice verse 23. He says, this happens each in its own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. So, there's an anticipation. We long for the coming of Christ where we will receive this body that will be resurrected like unto His body, which John tells us in 1 John 3. A harvest that is grown is brought in in one season. But Christ's harvest is far removed from its sowing. In fact, we are not told when the harvest will be reaped. He said to his disciples, concerning that day, the day of the harvest, and that hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Therefore, stay awake, and for you do not know the day in which your Lord is coming. Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not respect. The master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know. That's why we have to constantly be watching. Constantly be looking up because our redemption is drawing near. Watch therefore for you do not know the day nor the hour. Jump ahead here just a bit. <clears throat> all these, all these sayings are known as the first resurrection. It started with Christ, and then the resurrection of the saints will happen at the rapture of the church, spoken of in uh, in First Thessalonians chapter four. Where Paul says that he does not want them to be uninformed, but that we will all be changed when Christ appears. We'll all be caught up with him and changed as we are taken to be with him. The next resurrection to take place is the first resurrection. It will be the tribu- it will be the tribulation saints, which takes place at the end of the tribulation. So you have the rapture taking place for those who are saved and those who've been saved in the past. Then you have a resurrection of the tribulation saints mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. Then a resurrection of the Old Testament saints, probably at the same time, according to Daniel chapter 12. The last resurrection to take place, hear me carefully on this. The last resurrection to take place is called the second resurrection. It is the resurrection of the unbelieving dead. Those who have rejected the gospel of Christ in this life. And have not found in him the forgiveness of sins. It's known as the second resurrection or the great white throne judgment. Everyone raised at this resurrection will be judged according to their sins. Their names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. They will be cast into a lake of fire. And that is called the second death. Listen to what John says. I saw a great white throne. And him who's seated on it. 
From his presence, earth and sky fled away. There was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it. And death and hell gave up the dead in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name found written in that book? You say, well, how do I know? What have you done with Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you know that He has pardoned you by shedding His own blood on the cross in your place? If not, my friend, I beg you, I implore you, run to Christ today. Fall on your face before Him. Repent of your sins and find in Him forgiveness and peace and life and love like you have never known. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that we have been forgiven and that we will live forever. Jesus said, because I live, you will live. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day, for this Easter Sunday, when we come and we celebrate, uh, commemorate the resurrection of our Lord. And we've come this morning realizing that there is nothing in us, no good that we have done that could cause you to shed your grace upon us. We are but sinners before you. And yet Christ died for sinners like us. And so I pray this morning for those that are here this morning that do not know you in the forgiveness of sin, that you would, that you would dog their steps, that you would not leave them alone, that you would constantly Bring to their minds the fact that they are without Christ. And Lord, uh, we don't want them to stand before the great white throne judgment with no one to stand up for them. So we pray for their salvation. We pray that you would cause them to repent of their sins and come to Christ. And we ask for those of us who are believers, that you would strengthen our faith because you are raised from the dead. You have conquered. And because you conquered, we will conquer. And we look forward to that great time when you come again to receive us to yourself that where you are, we may be also. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. I have no announcements for today. All of the announcements are in your bulletin.
and 